uh, we have a really awesome discussion tonight. We've we've done lots of lots of topics that have talked about the end time servant, but tonight is a really great introduction to the concept of the end time servant. Where does the idea come from? What is that? Uh, also slash Davidic servant, because that's also in some circles known as that as well. So uh, I put together a lot of this stuff, but also lots of help from Mark Curtis uh, and other, I mean, I've gotten help from lots of, lots of websites and blogs that help point out quotes and help me find quotes and scriptures that I, I didn't realize before. So, uh, but but Mark and I have been trying to compile as much of a composite list as possible of quotes and scriptures. And it is not possible to go over all of that material in one session. And so the goal tonight was to create an introduction so that those that literally had no idea of even the concept of this, of what an end of this end time servant or Davidic servant in scripture, that they could be like, oh, okay, so that's, okay, that's, it's a good starting point. This is where it's coming from. This is what it's talking about. Get the bearings. So most likely, since uh, we'll only go for about an hour-ish, uh, this is meant to be a, kind of a two-part series. It is recorded for listening or viewing, which will be uploaded uh, later this week. So if you miss it or you have to leave early or you didn't know you have a friend or family that would love to listen or watch and they can't be here right now, uh, it will be recorded for that. So that's good news. And the part two, if we need to part two, and I'm pretty certain we do because there's just no way. I, I, I put all this stuff together and knowing that we need a nice introduction to get people on some good footing of, okay, these are the scriptures, these are the ideas, these are the quotes from uh, Joseph and other early contemporaries. And and then there's going to be a part two where we can really dive deep into a lot more scriptures and quotes uh, or dive deep more deeply into some of the same scriptures and quotes. Because there's, there's just so much that you can uh, pull apart and learn. And it just keeps expanding. I've been spending quite a bit of time over the past. At this point, uh, I've been going almost two months really solid collecting of this stuff. And it just keeps going and, and, and it makes sense because we realize that it's a really important concept. And I think you're gonna see that just out of the scriptures tonight, in addition to some of the quotes. Uh, I will apologize that I don't have slides to show on the screen while I'm talking tonight, uh, but there will be as, uh, when this is uploaded for watching. And there will also be uh, a readable article version as you're following along. So I have on, here on the screen all the quotes and the scriptures and everything. So so you could just sit back and relax if you want to follow along your own scriptures. That'll be great. Have uh, We'll be using scriptures of the Restoration, uh, the Holy Bible, the Book of Mormon, the Doctrine and Covenants, Pro Great Price. Um, also, we'll be using a lot of the inspired version of the Bible, which is also known as the Joseph Smith Translation. So we'll be pulling a lot from that. Otherwise, you can just sit back and relax, and uh, I'll be reading them to you and talking. And uh, 
text text some of your friends and family tell them to jump on here because this is really important for end time stuff final days preparation of the second coming and it's also really interesting a lot of people find it really interesting because most people are not aware of a lot of this stuff so just so everyone knows the format uh so i'll be given the lesson if you have comments questions all those things jot them down make a note as soon as uh we're done and like i said it'll be about an hour ish um, for this portion and then we'll be leaving deeper dive stuff for this part two and also for any q a session but then after after the lesson we will open up for q a comments etc um, discussion all that so any of your thoughts jot them down uh circle scriptures or even if you forget the scripture i've got it all right in front of me so you say hey go back to that scripture where it talked about such and such and we can get back to it soon so so if you have any questions or comments or anything like that make note of it and we'll get to that at the end so we are approaching tonight the introduction to this concept of the end time servant also known by many as the davidic servant or as we will see in some of these scriptures my servant david and this is something that uh there are a lot of people that have heard about it and know about it and then there's a lot of uh people that are not aware and as to why uh we'll address some of that i can't answer why someone doesn't know something per se but but there are reasons as to why it might be obscure and and you might you might get a sense of that as we read the scriptures but you also get a sense of how plain the idea bears out particularly in the old testament um which are earlier earliest references um so if you have if you have your bible with you want to open up uh we're going to be looking at some great references here. And I've got a slew of scriptures, probably won't get to all of them. And so that'll save us some more for, for a deeper dive later, but we are gonna look at enough to help bring this idea to a little bit more clarity. So Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, well, all the book from from Isaiah till the end of the Bible, really, we've got prophets that prophesy boldly against Israel in their time, while at the exact same time prophesying about future Israel in the last days, which we would assume is today. And and so there they are starting to make more sense as more and more of these things come to pass well isaiah which feels like a sealed book to a lot of us a lot of times starts to make a little more sense uh for those who have uh, discovered avraham Gileadi's work on the translation on his translation of isaiah and a lot of his commentaries he really makes it a lot plainer and a lot simpler and he helps point out a lot of themes that are congruent throughout the entire book and one of these themes is this theme of a servant and what we want to do is jump and look at some of the more obvious ones because isaiah is full of metaphor and it takes a while to unfold some of that metaphor so if we look at some of the more obvious examples in isaiah uh 
then that can help us get started. So Isaiah 22, we're going to look at one of these references to David in Isaiah, because we have this term Davidic servants. So we want to see where's where's this term Davidic servant coming from? The end time concept is the fact that all these prophets, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, so on and so forth, they are prophesying of the last days and this servant that's supposedly showing up on the scene. So in Isaiah 22, we're going to look at verses 21 through 23. So 21, and I will clothe him with thy robe and strengthen him with thy girdle, and I will commit thy government into his hand. He's talking about a person. And he shall be a father to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. And the key of the house of David will I lay upon his shoulder. So he shall open and none shall shut, and he shall shut and none shall open. And I will fasten him as a nail in a sure place. Interesting phrase. And he shall be for a glorious throne to his father's house. That's 21 through 23. Now, oftentimes reading in Isaiah, people will read things that sound like the Messiah, sound like Jesus Christ and say, well, that's him. That's Jesus Christ. Problem is, uh, a lot of this stuff is referring to things that are supposed to be happening in Isaiah's scenario and his vision that are before the second coming. So that they can't quite equal Jesus Christ, but it sounds like Jesus. And for good reason, it's, it's a type of Jesus. Jesus's servants are always a type of him. Moses in so many ways was a type of Jesus. So this end time servant will often sound a lot like Jesus. Uh, so from Isaiah 22, so that we get, that's where we get this David Reference. We're also going to jump into 37. So skip ahead to Isaiah 37, verse 35. For I will defend this city. Speaking of what city? The New Jerusalem. I will defend this city to save it for my mine own sake and for my servant David's sake. Well, okay, there you go. How about this one? Uh, let's jump to uh, chapter 55, Isaiah 55, we'll look at verses 3 and 4. I'm reading out of the King James Version, although I also highly recommend the Isaiah Institute translation, which is Avraham Gileadi's translation. Uh, so Isaiah 55, verses 3 and 4. You can also look at verses 1 through 5. Incline your ear, come unto me, here, and your soul shall live and I will make an everlasting covenant with you, even the sure mercies of David. Behold, I have given him, David, for a witness to the people, a leader and commander to the people. Interesting, uh, we're going to come back to that phrase in verse 4 uh, later. We're going to hear, or in other words, we're going to hear that same verbiage later. Uh, so, so here's some David references. We're going to jump out of Isaiah and into Ezekiel for a quick moment for, for more of these David references. Ezekiel chapter 34. So lots of jumping around. This will help exercise your, your memory of where books are. And if you don't have any memory of them, then, then it'll exercise your learning of where they are. So Ezekiel 34, a couple books down the road. Chapter 23, 24, or chapter 34, verse 23. 24. 
So Ezekiel 34, 23, and I will set up one shepherd over them and he shall feed them, even my servant David. He shall feed them and he shall be their shepherd. That sounds like Christ, doesn't it? And I, the Lord, will be their God and my servant David, a prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken it. So it does sound like Jesus, but it's not, and it's not in context of the entire chapter that we're reading. It's not in just the very context of, I'm God, and this is my servant David, Prince. So, uh, again, the context in that chapter is of the end time, reestablishing Israel, uh, Jerusalem, and the New Jerusalem. Let's also go to chapter 37. So just flip over a couple of pages. We have this same concept, and especially when we put all of these together, the idea of of it, of the question rather, of it being, is it Jesus, starts to become a little clearer because the context of all of them shows that this is a servant of God in the end times preceding the second coming. So, so it can't be Jesus coming, doing all this stuff on the earth, leading the people and gathering everybody and doing all this stuff before he comes because that that's antithetical. It doesn't make sense. Uh, so chapter 37, this entire chapter is all about the promise of God to gather again Israel, the, 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 the gathering in the last days. So we'll just look in the second half of the chapter. We've got uh, starting in verse 24. This is Ezekiel 37, 24. And David, my servant, shall be king over them. So the previous verses talking about the reestablishment of Israel shall be king over them and they shall and they all shall have one shepherd. So that's sounding like chapter 34. They shall also walk in my judgments and observe my statutes and do them. Verse 25. And they shall dwell in the land that I have given unto Jacob my servant wherein your fathers have dwelt, and they shall dwell therein, even they and their children and their children's children forever, and my servant David shall be their prince forever. Interesting. If you just back up a little bit and look at verse uh, 22, talking about this idea of bringing the stick of Joseph and the stick of Judah together. Remember the, the 10 tribes in the northern kingdom was governed by the house of Joseph and particularly the, the house of Ephraim. So they had, you had those 10 tribes led by Ephraim. Then you had the southern three tribes led by Judah. Well, this chapter is talking about them coming together. We have that uh, take the stick of Joseph, the stick of Ephraim, and, and, uh, and uh, put them together and they shall be one in thine hand. That's verse 16, 17. So the Lord's talking about them coming together. In verse 22, I will make them one nation in the land upon the mountains of Israel, and one king shall be king to them all. That sounds like Christ. It does. But in the context of when they're gathered and set up, this is all before the second coming. Uh, this is all before the second coming. So this is a king that's a prince under God, my servant David. Interesting. And if we look, if we take Ezekiel into account and cross-reference that in section 29 of the Doctrine and Covenants. We're going to jump over there real quick.
we look at verse 21. So section 29, verse 21. And the great and abominable, abominable church, which is the whore of all the earth, shall be cast down by devouring fire, according as it is spoken by the mouth of Ezekiel the prophet, who spoke of these things. So these things, meaning all of this stuff prior to the second coming, this whole section is talking about signs of the second coming. So these things, who spoke of these things. So that's what Ezekiel was talking about. He's talking about all these signs before the second coming which have not come to pass, but surely must as I live, for abominations shall not reign. So the Lord makes very clear for those detractors who want to say, well, what Ezekiel is talking about already happened. The Lord is testifying that Ezekiel was talking about stuff that is yet to happen. Okay, so that's just a good uh, verse for context. Okay, we're going to jump... into Jeremiah now. So jump back a book, well, a couple books, Lamentations and Jeremiah into chapter 23. So as we read these verses, pay attention to all these different mini assignments so that what this person's doing. So right now we're making it clear that he's going to be a king or a prince and reign over the 12 tribes. So chapter 23, verses three to six, Jeremiah. And I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all countries, whether I have driven them, and I and will bring them again to their folds, and they will they shall be fruitful and increase. And I will set up shepherds, plural, over them, which shall feed them, and they shall fear no more, nor be dismayed, neither shall they be lacking, saith the Lord. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will raise unto David a righteous branch, and a king shall reign and prosper, and shall execute judgment and justice in the earth. In his days, Judah shall be saved. In his days, Judah shall be saved. It's talking about when Judah is saved and gathered in again. So even though it sounds like Christ, that righteous branch, this is a servant of Christ, a type of Christ. So in his days, Judah shall be saved and Israel shall dwell safely. And this is his name whereby he shall be called the Lord, our righteousness. Well, someone could very easily read that and say, well, that is Jesus. Well, it is a type of Jesus, but this phraseology or this terminology is rampant throughout Isaiah pointing to this servant. So again, all these scriptures combined helps paint the picture, uh, but it's okay to keep the doubt in the mind, because certainly it does sound like Jesus Christ, and it's meant to. For the end times, we're going to see, uh, the more and more we study, that all things in the history of the world, in all of scriptures, everything is going to climax in a grand archetype of everything that has been. So, chapter 30, verses 8 and 9. So, just a few pages down the road. shall come to pass in that day, the last day, saith the Lord of hosts, that I will break his yoke from off thy neck and will burst thy bonds, and strangers shall no more serve themselves of him, but they shall serve the Lord their God and David their king, whom I will raise up unto them. That's a really interesting phrase, whom I will raise up unto them. In fact, let's jump to Doctrine and Covenants right now to look at 
that same phraseology, look at this, talking about break his yoke from off thy neck. This is referring to bondage, freeing the Lord's people from bondage, which Isaiah is all about as well. So we have this same verbiage right here, freeing the Lord's people from bondage. And then we have, and David their king, whom I will raise up unto them. So doctrine and covenants, flip over to section 103. So section 103 of the Doctrine and Covenants, verses 15 to 18. Listen to this. Behold, I say unto you, the redemption of Zion, which, which includes the gathering and restoration of the 12 tribes, must needs come by power. Therefore, I will raise up unto my people a man. What did we just read? David their king, whom I will raise up unto them. When we have the same verbiage in scriptures, we need to make sure that we're making those connections. It's on purpose. The Lord knows what he's talking about when he uses the exact same phrases. I will raise up unto my people a man who shall lead them like as Moses led the children of Israel. For ye are the children of Israel and of the seed of Abraham, and ye must needs be led out of bondage by power and with a stretched out arm. Interesting, that stretched out arm, that is an Isaiah reference. And as your fathers were led out at first under Moses, even so shall the redemption of Zion be. And we get a little mini version of that also in Jeremiah 30, verses 8 and 9. Okay, one more in Jeremiah. We got chapter 33. So just flip over a couple of pages. Chapter 33, verses 15 and 16. This whole uh, second half of the chapter, actually 14 all the way to the end, 26 but we're just going to look at 15 and 16. In those days, and at that time, so the last days, will I cause the branch of righteousness, there we have that same phrase again, to grow up unto David. And he shall execute judgment and righteousness in the land. In those days shall Judah be saved, and Jerusalem shall dwell safely. And this is the name wherewith she shall be called the Lord our righteousness. Interesting, this verse seems to be referring to Jerusalem when it says, wherewith she shall be called, at Jerusalem dwelling safely. So just an interesting thing to, to be noting and comparing there to those other prior references. Okay, let's jump back into Isaiah for a second. We have what we call, uh, by we meaning the world at large, refers to these chapters in Isaiah as the servant songs or the chapters on the servant. Those are chapters uh, 42 to 53 in Isaiah. We're just going to look at four little snippets in that whole section. So that's, uh, that's what, 12 chapters in Isaiah that are dedicated to uh, talking about this servant. So we're looking at chapter 42. The first one, we have the introduction to this chosen servant that Isaiah is foreseeing and foretelling. So look at 42, just the first few verses. Behold, my servant whom I uphold, mine elect in whom my soul delighteth, I have put my spirit upon him. He shall bring forth judgment to the Gentiles. He shall not cry, nor lift up, nor cause his voice to be heard in the street. A bruised reed shall he not break, and the smoking flax shall not quench. He shall bring forth judgment unto truth. He shall not fail nor be discouraged till he have set judgment in the earth and the isles shall wait for his law. So, so we have a lot of similar words and phrases in those other 
verses that we read where we were pretty sure it might that it sounded just like Christ. Uh, verse, jump down to verse six. I, the Lord, have called thee in righteousness. And so now this is the voice of the Lord speaking to this servant. And will hold thine hand and will keep thee and give thee for a covenant of the people, for a light of the Gentiles, to open the blind eyes, to bring out the prisoners from the prison bondage, and them that sit in darkness out of the prison house. So here we have some phrases that we want to compare again to doctrine and covenants. So hopefully, as we're reading these, we're establishing an idea that there is going to be someone showing up in the last days to perform exactly what the Lord said in section 103, someone to lead out his people from bondage and establish all this. So jump into Dr. Covenant section 45, right at the beginning of the section, we have verses 9 and 10. Section 45 is similar to uh, 29 that we just read all about the second coming. 45 is all about the second coming and signs of the second coming, rather. Well, verses 9 and 10 sound awful lot like what we just read in verse 6 of uh, chapter 42. So section 45, verse 9. And even so I have sent mine everlasting covenant into the world to be a light to the world and to be a standard for my people and for the Gentiles to seek to it. And then look at the next phrase. And to be a messenger before my face to prepare the way before me. So Obviously, his covenant, the everlasting covenant, to offer up a broken heart and a contrite spirit so that the Lord will adopt us as his people and baptize us with fire and with the Holy Ghost. That is the light. That is the covenant. That is the standard. Well, listen to this. In this very same verse, the Lord is just like Isaiah saying that he's comparing this messenger, this servant, to be that standard. Verse uh, 6 in Isaiah and give thee for a covenant. So the idea here that Isaiah is painting and the Lord is painting is that this servant is meant to embody righteousness, meant to embody being a type of Christ, uh, embody the everlasting covenant of offering a broken heart and country spirit, just as Christ embodied it in his life, saying, I came to do the will of him that sent me. I came to do the will of my father. That is embodying the whole message of what is this covenant to be a light to the Gentiles. So the next uh, servant song is uh, the, the, the highlight that we're going to look at is the mission of the servant, which is uh, uh, chapter 49. So jump down to chapter 49, Isaiah. So these are just some of the highlights in this section of servant songs or chapters on the servant. Chapter 49 this is the voice of the servant speaking, and we'll, we'll get a sense of that really soon. Listen, O isles, unto me, and hearken ye people from far. The Lord hath called me from the womb. From the bowels of my mother hath he made mention of my name. And he hath made my mouth like a sharp sword, which is referring to the power of the Holy Ghost. In the shadow of his hand hath he hid me, and made me a polished shaft, and his quiver hath he hid me, and said unto me, Thou art my servant. O Israel, in whom I will be glorified. Interesting, he says, oh, well, how is Israel a servant? Well, now he is the he is the representative of Israel, and also we have a type for Israel to liken themselves unto this as well. Then I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for naught, and in vain, yet surely my judgment is with the Lord and the work with my God. Uh, and now, saith the Lord, that formed me from the womb to be his servant. So we're talking about this foreordination, this idea that before 
he came, this was prophesied, to bring Jacob again to him. So again, the gathering of Israel is his work. Though Israel be not gathered, yet shall I be glorious in the eyes of the Lord, and my God shall be my strength. And he said, it is a light thing that thou shouldst be my servant. And he said, meaning the Lord said, it is a light thing that thou shouldst be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved of Israel. I will give thee, here it is again, for a light to the Gentiles that thou mayest be my salvation unto the end of the earth. So right here, we're getting some words and phrases that are key as we read Isaiah to see uh, that represent metaphorically the servants to be my salvation, a light to the Gentiles, a standard, an ensign, righteousness. So as we're reading Isaiah, we come across these word links. Uh, you can see pretty quickly how they are metaphors for this end time servant, because Isaiah is rampant about this end time servant who stands completely juxtaposed to the arch tyrant, the Antichrist, who's uh, personified uh, in metaphor by the king of Assyria, king of Babylon throughout Isaiah, as well as tons of other metaphors. So every single page of Isaiah, you're going to get references to them either directly or indirectly through these metaphors. Uh, jump to chapter 50, verses 4 through 10. Verse 4, the Lord God hath given me the tongue of the learned that I should know how to speak a word in season to him that is weary. He wakeneth morning by morning. He wakeneth mine ear to hear as the learned. The Lord God hath opened mine ear, and I was not rebellious, neither turned away back. I gave my back to the smiters and my cheeks to them that plucked off the hair. I hid not my face from shame and spitting. So we start to read here some verses that give rise to the notion of what many call the suffering servant. So many, uh, many call this servant the suffering servant in Isaiah because of all of these references to his suffering. And it sounds an awful lot like Christ's suffering. And that is, and that is meant to be. It is meant, he is meant to typify Christ. Anyone who would serve Christ, especially at those high levels, know, as we read in the testimony of the apostles in the New Testament, that we have to suffer with Christ. And that is what it means to be a true Christian, a true disciple, a true follower especially a servant at the level of this servant, is going to suffer in, in, a, in a lot of ways. And it typifies Christ. Uh, verse 7, For the Lord God will help me, therefore shall I not be confounded. There's another important phrase that will tie into this uh, servant uh, not being confounded. So remember that. Therefore have I set my face like a flint. I love that, like a flint, like you're starting a fire, smash. Uh, and I know that I shall not be ashamed. He is near that justifieth me. Who will contend with me? Let us stand together. So now he's getting pretty bold. Who is mine adversary? Let him come near to me. I'll beat them all. Uh, behold, the Lord God will help me. Who is he that shall condemn me? Lo, they shall all wax old as a garment. The moth shall eat them up. Because the servant is going to uh, over defeat all of his enemies, all the Lord's enemies. Who is among you that feareth the Lord, that obeyeth the voice of his servant? that walketh in darkness and hath no light, let him trust in the name of the Lord and stay upon his God. Okay. And then uh, verse uh, chapter 52, towards the end, so just skip over a little bit, towards the end, verse 12, and then all of chapter 53. And these chapters are famously quoted as referring to the Savior, and verily they are a type of the Savior. But in context of all these chapters referring to the servant, this, this is language referring to the suffering of this servant, 
uh, for you shall go not out. This is verse 12 of 52. You shall go not out with haste, nor go by flight, for the Lord will go before you, and the God of Israel will be your rearward. Behold, my servant shall deal prudently. He shall be exalted and extolled. As many were uh, astonished at thee, his visage was so marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. So shall he sprinkle many nations. The king shall shut their mouths at him. For that which had not been told them shall they see, and that which they had not heard shall they consider. Who hath believed our report? To whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? There is arm of the Lord. That is one of the metaphors of the servant. For he, this same servant, the arm of the Lord, shall grow up before him as a tender plant. He hath no form, no comeliness. Verse 3, he is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrow. So now we have these famous verses that we usually read, uh, thinking of Christ, and rightly so. But it is very specifically referring to the suffering of this servant. For surely hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. So what is this talking about? This is talking about the fact that this servant is not just going to suffer needlessly. He's going to be suffering on behalf of Israel to help save them temporally. And that is a type and shadow how the Lord suffers to save us spiritually. So this servant is an archetype of Jesus Christ. Uh, jump to the book of Hosea, chapter 3. It's one of those easy books to miss because it's so short. Hosea chapter 3, verses 4 and 5. For the children of Israel shall abide many days without a king, and without a prince, and without a sacrifice, and without an image, and without an ephod, and without a teraphim. Verse 5. Afterward shall the children of Israel return and seek the Lord their God and David their king, and shall fear the Lord and his goodness in the latter days. So from here... And there's, there are more references. I can't read them all. From here, we're going to read a quote from Joseph Smith. This is, uh, you can find this sermon in History of the Church, Volume 6. Uh, this is a sermon on the spirit of Elias, spirit of Elijah, spirit of Messiah. Uh, he's talking about David. Although David was a king, he never did obtain the spirit and power of Elijah and the fullness of the priesthood, and listen to this, and the priesthood that he received, and the throne and kingdom of David is to be taken from him, which is really similar to the verses we just read, and given to another by the name of David in the last days, raised up out of his lineage. Or uh, Orson Hyde in his uh, prayer, the dedicatory prayer of uh, Israel and, and land of Jerusalem, he says, let them know that it is a good pleasure to restore the kingdom unto Israel, raise up Jerusalem as its capital, and constitute her people a distinct nation and government. And here, with David thy servant, even a descendant from the loins of ancient David to be their king. So, so we have this, this pointing to someone coming, seemingly, as Joseph said, by the name of David, potentially, at least, at least it sounds like, to, to, to fulfill this mission. Okay, uh, now we're going to get into, there are more Old Testament references. We don't have time. Now we're going to get into some New Testament references. And these are coming out of the inspired version, also known as the Joseph Smith translation. Uh, we're going to look at Matthew 17, verses 10 to 13. Again, from the Joseph Smith translation. And his disciples asked him, saying, why then say the scribes that Elias must first come? And Jesus answered, said unto them, Elias truly shall come first and restore all things, as the prophets have written. 
And again, I say unto you that Elias has come already concerning whom it is written, behold, I will send my messenger and he shall prepare the way before me. And they knew him not. And by the way, he's quoting Isaiah when he reads that. And they knew him not and have done unto him whatsoever they listed. Uh, at this point, John's been killed. Likewise shall also the son of man suffer of them. So he shall be killed of them also. But I say unto you, who is Elias? Behold, this is Elias, whom I send to prepare the way before me. Then the disciples understood that he spake unto them of John the Baptist and also of another who should come and restore all things as it is written by the prophets. Okay, uh, again, John 1, 19 through 28. This is a little bit longer, but just as good. Again, inspired version. And this is the record of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who art thou? And he confessed and denied not, by John the Baptist, denied not that he was Elias. He denied not that he was Elias, but confessed saying, I am not the Christ. And they asked him saying, how then art thou Elias? Because they didn't understand because they thought that the Elias would be this Messiah. And, that, and that's uh, for further discussion later. And he said, I am not that Elias who was to restore all things. And they asked him saying, Art thou that prophet? And he answered, No. Then said they unto him, Who art thou? That we may give an answer to him that to them that sent us. What sayest thou of thyself? He said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Again, Isaiah reference. Make straight the way of the Lord, as saith the prophet Isaiah, or Isaiah. And they who were sent were of the Pharisees, and they asked him and said unto him, Why baptizest thou then, if thou be not the Christ, nor Elias, who was to restore all things, neither that prophet? John answered them, saying, The word of the word was uh, was God darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not by grace, by the only begotten Son, which was in the bosom of the Father. And he declared declared him, What then art thou Elias? I baptize with water, but there standeth one among you whom ye know not. He it is of whom I bear record. He is that prophet, even Elias who coming after me is preferred before me, whose shoes latch it I'm not worthy to unloose, or whose place I'm not able to fill. For he shall baptize not only with water, but with fire and with the Holy Ghost. That is a lot, and he lots of references. In fact, he even calls Jesus Elias or Elijah, uh, those two names, uh, a Greek version or Hebrew version of the same name. And Joseph Smith gives a whole discourse on that, which I just referenced above. Um, or prior, but we are going to look at another discourse here. Uh, this is serve. This is Joseph Smith, a sermon delivered at the Nauvoo Temple grounds on Friday, May 12th, 1844, as recorded in uh, the Law Journal. Uh, says for bro brother Joseph Smith was chosen for the last dispensation or seventh dispensation, the time the Grand Council set in heaven to organize this world. Joseph was chosen for the last and greatest prophet to lay the foundation of God's work of the seventh dispensation. Therefore, the Jews asked, therefore, the Jews asked John the Baptist if he was Elias or Jesus or that great prophet that was to come. Uh, so Joseph made reference of that. Uh, if we look at Matthew 24, uh, verses, uh, verse 14, we get some really great commentary from that same sermon just quoted. Matthew 24, 14. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. Well, listen to this commentary from Joseph Smith. This is uh, from the Bullock report of that sermon. I shall read the 24th chapter of Matthew and give it a literal rendering and reading, 
And when it is rightly understood, it will be edifying. He then read and translated it from the German. I thought the very oddity of its rendering would be edifying anyhow, he said. And it will preach to be the gospel of the kingdom in the whole world to a witness over all people. And then will the end come. I will now read it in German, which he did. And many Germans who were present said he translated it correct. The Savior said when those tribulations should take place, it should be committed to a man who should be a witness over the whole world. The keys of knowledge, power, and revelations should be revealed to a witness who should hold the testimony to the world. And then shall the end come. Interesting. So, so that verse that we have, Joseph said, no, the rendering is not correct. Here's the correct rendering. And then here's from the Lob Journal, same, uh, same sermon. His his report on this little uh, part in the sermon, he says, and the Joseph says, and the original translation reads thus, and I will send you another witness, and he shall preach this gospel to all nations, to the ends of the world. But woe to that man or woman who shall lift up their or his hands against God's witness, for they are raising their hands or arms against the power of God, and they will be cursed. And this is from Richard's report uh, from the same sermon. The prophet Joseph said, on May 12, 1844, after reading the 24th uh, chapter of Matthew uh, from an ancient German Bible text, quote, the kingdom must preached be to a witness over all nations, people. And the, the typo from his journal, quote, Joseph said, meaning preached to a man who should be a witness to all people is the meaning of the text, close quote from Joseph. So we have some interesting references to show that very clearly there is to be someone showing up at these last days. Look at this, Revelation 14.6. This is a very famous uh, verse for, uh, or at least familiar verse for many of us. 14.6 in Revelation. And I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth and to every nation, kindred, tongue, and people. Well, we often attribute this to being Moroni, uh, um, being that one with uh, the Book of Mormon to deliver it uh, to Joseph Smith. However, we have similar verbiage here as we just got from Matthew 24, 14 in the version that Joseph, as Joseph expounded it. And then once again, continued from above from the same sermon, Joseph clarifies that they are linked. What this verse, verse six of Revelation 14 really means. All the testimony is that the Lord in the last days would commit the keys of the priesthood to a witness over all people. Has the gospel of the kingdom commenced in the last days, and will God take it from the man until he takes him himself? I have read it precisely as the words flowed from the lips of Jesus Christ. John the Revelator, and here's where he makes the connection, John the Revelator saw an angel flying through the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth, etc. The scripture is ready to be fulfilled when, listen to this, the scripture is ready to be fulfilled when great wars, famines, pestilence, great distress, judgments, etc. are ready to be poured out on the inhabitants of the earth. That is an end time context, the very last day's context, not Joseph Smith's day context. John saw the angel having the holy priesthood who should preach the everlasting kingdom to all nations. God had an angel, a special messenger, ordained and prepared for that purpose in the last days. It's an amazing quote. So, so much more in the New Testament than we might have realized. And as I mentioned, it's not possible to go through go through all of them. You know, here, here we're already uh, exhausting uh, much of our time. I want to try and keep it to an hour. We might go just a little bit over. Uh, we'll go through a couple more uh, references here. We want to look at the Book of Mormon 
as well. So uh, the Book of Mormon, we're just going to touch on one section, and that's the words of Jesus Christ in 3rd Nephi. So if you want to turn to 3rd Nephi. We are going to jump to chapter 20. And we're going to see that, hey, this sounds a lot like Isaiah. And it's supposed to. <laughs> uh, but Jesus is teaching the Nephites, uh, prophesying in the future about the gathering of Israel um, and, and also their own restoration of their seed for the Lamanites in the latter days. So we have 3 Nephi chapter 20, verses 43 to 45. Behold, my servant shall deal prudently. He shall be exalted and extolled and be very high. Verse 44, as many were astonished at the, his visage was so marred more than any man and his form more than the sons of men. So shall he sprinkle many nations. So here, his visage was so marred. We have this suffering servant. Christ is helping point out that Isaiah is truly talking about uh, a servant in these end times. If if the context of Isaiah didn't make it clear enough, Isaiah or Jesus here in Third Nephi, he's already resurrected being. He's already performed his suffering, his atonement, and yet here he is quoting uh, these same uh, chapters and verses about this suffering servant, right? Uh, Verse 45, so shall he sprinkle many nations. The king shall shut their mouths at him. But that which had not been told them shall they see. That which they had not heard shall they consider. And then if we uh, flip over to chapter 21. He continues. So this is 35, 21. Look at verse 10 and 11. Well, we'll start in verse 9. For in that day, for my sake, shall the Father work a work, which shall be a great and a marvelous work among them. And there shall be among them those who will not believe it, although a man shall declare unto them, this same man that we were just reading about. But behold, the life of my servant shall be in my hand. And, and that's a really important phrase that we've uh, seen, shall be in my hand. Therefore, they shall not hurt him, although he shall be marred because of them. Yet I will heal him, for I will show unto them that my wisdom is greater than the cunning of the devil. Verse 11, therefore it shall come to pass that whosoever will not believe in my words, who am Jesus Christ, which the Father shall cause him to bring forth unto the Gentiles, cause him, my servant, and shall give unto him power that he shall bring them forth unto the Gentiles, and it shall be done even as Moses said, they shall be cut off from among my people who are of the covenant. Uh, and there are more references in the Book of Mormon. First, uh, second Nephi, Jacob 5 and 6, um, and some other hints uh, from Moroni. Uh, we don't have time to look into those, but uh, we will be able to go into those uh, later. Now, Doctrine and Covenants, we already read section 45, uh, read and 
but we're going to look at uh, section 27, which is going to tie into all of those New Testament references that we read. So Doctrine and Covenants section 27, verse 6, uh, this is this is Jesus expounding on those who would uh, appear at Adam on day Amen, at that great gathering. And verse 6 says who's going to be there, or one of these people, and also with Elias, to whom I've committed the keys of bringing to pass the restoration of all things, spoken by the mouth of all the holy prophets since the world began concerning the last days. So this restoration of all things is often attributed to uh, Joseph Smith in 1830 through 1844 during, during that ministry when he restored the gospel, right? However, this verse alone says is pointing to the fact that no, it hasn't happened yet. It hasn't happened yet. And if we look at uh, section 85, verse 7, It shall come to pass that I, the Lord God, will send one mighty and strong, holding the scepter of power in his hand, clothed with light for a covering, whose mouth shall utter words, eternal words, while his bowels shall be a fountain of truth. These are all phrases that we've already found in places in Isaiah, etc. Fountain of truth to set in order the house of God, interesting, and to arrange by lot the inheritances of the saints whose names are found, the names of their fathers and their children enrolled in the book of the law of God. Uh, also, we have section 113. Uh, this is a little bit of Q&A with the Lord, verses 3 to 6. Uh, his question, what is the root of Jesse spoken of, 10th verse, 11th chapter of Isaiah? Answer, behold, thus saith the Lord, it is a descendant of Jesse as well as Joseph, Huge hint right there. Unto whom rightly belongs the priesthood and the keys of the kingdom for an ensign and for the gathering of my people in the last days. Um, we have here an unmistakable testimony in the standard works that there is a servant coming to accomplish this mission. So we're going to look at some more quotes here. Let's see. Section 85, One Mighty and Strong. We have a couple of quotes here. David Whitmer. Uh, this is reported in the Desert Evening News of 1878. Uh, interviewer asks him, uh, David, where are the plates now? Because David was, remember, one of the three witnesses. Uh, Whitmer says, in a cave where the angel has hidden them up till the time arrives when the plates, which are sealed, shall be translated. And here it is. God will yet raise up a mighty one who shall do his work till it is finished and Jesus comes again. Interviewer, where's that cave? Whitmer in the state of New York. Interesting. And then here is uh, Brigham Young. Uh, here's, a, here's a really interesting quote uh, that definitely raises a lot of hairs and causes a lot of, <laughs> a lot of contention, but, I, but I'm reading it anyway. Brethren, this church will be led onto the very brink of hell by the leaders of this people. Then God will raise up the one mighty and strong spoken of in the 85th section of Doctrine and Covenants, verse 7, to save and redeem this church. Interesting. Um, now we've got, out of after all of that, that is a, a basic baseline for, okay, we have an idea of this servant who is referred to as my servant David, the Davidic servant, or the end time servant, the servant that will perform this work at the end times of the Lord. 
when when the father commences this work uh, to gather all the scattered tribes of Israel and to bring again and restore his people and establish Zion, the new Jerusalem, and also reestablish the old Jerusalem. Well, we're going to look at some scriptural examples that point to, either hint at, point to, or directly seem to indicate who this servant is, that it is Joseph. And yet Joseph already died in 1844, and all these things haven't come to pass. So we're going to take a look at some of this stuff. And uh, once again, there's a lot more than we have time to cover, so we'll, we'll take a look at some of them. And then, and then, then we'll close it, and then uh, we'll have a part two where we can dive more deeply into some of the references we didn't get a chance to get at, and also dive more deeply into some of the references we did read, and some of the significant phrases and references that are in them that tie to to more uh, more quotes, more scriptures that just uh, take it further and deeper. So if we look in the Joseph Smith translation, Genesis chapter 50, and this is something that can be found just in the, the Gospel Library app or in the or in your in your actual standard works without having direct access to the uh, inspired version. Whereas some of the other ones that we were reading, you um, you had to have access to the inspired version to, to read it. Genesis Genesis uh, Genesis 50, the JST. That's a tongue twister. Uh, we have here this prophecy of Joseph of Egypt talking about uh, Moses being raised up to deliver uh, the children of Israel. And then we have this prophecy of uh, the Lord raising up someone out of the fruit of the loins of Joseph to, to bring to pass this restoration. It clearly sounds like Joseph Smith. And listen to this, verse 30. Again, a seer will I raise up out of the fruit of thy loins, and unto him will I give power to bring forth my word unto the seed of thy loins. And not to the bringing forth my word only, saith the Lord, but to the convincing them of my word, which shall have already gone forth among them in the last days. So we have this word of God, which has gone forth among the people in the last days. Well, his word of God that came forth in the last days is the Book of Mormon, the Doctrine of Covenants. So this seer that he's going to raise up is going to have power to convince the Lord's people of these things. Uh, we'll skip down to verse 32. And out of weakness... Shall he be made strong? Interesting, one mighty and strong. In that day when my work shall go forth among all my people. That day when the work shall go forth among all my people is, is in the last days, which shall restore them who are the house of Israel. In the last days, see? That's the context of when this is. And then verse 33, And that seer will I bless, and they that seek to destroy him shall be confounded. There it is, being confounded, confounding all the enemies of the Lord's servant. For this promise I give unto you, for I will remember you from generation to generation. And listen to this. And his name shall be called Joseph, and it shall be after the name of his father. So people look at this and say, well, this is just talking about Joseph Smith in his first ministry. However, it's an impartial prophecy, if that's the case, because these things haven't come to pass yet. So it seems to be indicating that, yes, it's referring to that Joseph Smith, but that he has work to do that hasn't been done yet. Isn't that interesting? And we get more insight from that. When Lehi is quoting that exact same portion of the brass plates in 2 Nephi chapter 3. So turn to 2 Nephi chapter 3. And we're going to hear Lehi reading this same section to his son Joseph. 
but we have some words that aren't included because as we know, the breastplates, uh, we don't have the breastplates in their entirety in the, in the Bible. But we have verse seven, a choice cereal I raise up by the fruit of thy loins. It's uh, so on and so forth. Similar that we already have in JST Genesis 50, but then verse nine, look at this. And he shall be great like unto Moses. Already, already we have a little bit of hinting of what section 103 said, that God will raise up a man like unto Moses. And he shall be great like unto Moses, whom I've said I would raise up unto you already. So that was part of that JSC Genesis 50, where Joseph of Egypt's talking about raising up Moses. Whom I've said I would raise up unto you to deliver my people, O house of Israel. And Moses will I raise up to deliver thy people out of the land of Egypt. So a lot of people might say verse 9 is referring to uh, the second half of the verse, deliver my people of the house of Israel, but that was referring to Moses. No, verse 10 is referring to Moses' delivery of the people of Israel. Verse 9, you need to see that middle part as a parenthetical. So verse 9, you say, and he, that seer, shall be great like unto Moses to deliver my people, O house of Israel. And then the parenthetical is, whom I've said I would raise up unto you. Does that make sense? It's important to understand that. So Joseph, and, and, and if we go all the way through verse 15, it's very clear that this is all referring to Joseph. Verse 15, and his name shall be called after me, and it shall be after the name of his father. So he's quoting Joseph of Egypt. So Joseph of Egypt says, his name shall be called after me, which is Joseph, and it shall be after the name of his father. And we know that his father's name was Joseph Sr. And he shall be like unto me, for the thing which the Lord shall bring into his hand by the power of the Lord shall bring my people unto salvation. So Joseph Smith did not... Uh, do this delivering like Moses. He didn't do that yet, but God said in section 103 that he would raise up a man like unto Moses to deliver his people from bondage because they would come under bondage. And Isaiah paints that picture very explicitly on almost every page of the book of Isaiah of what that bondage looks like and how it comes to pass. For the entire book of Isaiah, if you didn't realize, the entire book of Isaiah is a prophecy of the end times. So, uh, right here we have pointing out, okay, so that sounds like then Joseph is supposed to fulfill that role then, but he hasn't done it yet. Interesting. Um, let's look at, well, we don't have time to look at Jacob 5, so we'll probably look at that one next time. Uh, but uh, but that one is another great one to look at. Um, here's an interesting one. Isaiah 49.1, which we already read, which is the voice of the servant. So we already read Isaiah 49.1, but if we look at Doctrine and Covenants, section 1, then we're going to get it again. So Doctrine and Covenants, section 1, verse 1, this is the intro. This is, pay attention, everybody in the world. Hearken, O ye people of my church, saith the voice of him who dwells on high, and whose eyes are upon all men, yea, verily I say, listen to this, hearken ye people from afar, and ye that are upon the islands of the sea, listen together. That is quoting Isaiah 49.1. Well, if we look at section 1, it is a warning about what's coming. And if we skip down to verse 17, Wherefore I, the Lord, knowing the calamity which should come upon the inhabitants of the earth, called upon my servant Joseph Smith Jr. spake to him from heaven and gave him commandments and also gave commandments to others that they should proclaim these things unto the world. So what's interesting is we have this hint, verse one, the Lord knows what he's doing. He does everything on purpose. 
He's quoting Isaiah, quoting the words of the servant, and then later saying, and all this stuff that's going to happen, the calamities that are going to come, which haven't come yet, that are about to, they are at the doors right as we speak. So I called my servant Joseph. Well, it's like, well, so because of what's happening right now, you called your servant Joseph 160 years ago, 180 years ago, how, what? No, 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 he did, but he's calling him again. And this is a little bit of a hint in verse one that that this servant, that this Joseph, that this mission of Joseph is that of the end time servant. There's a little bit of a mouthful. Let's look at then some interesting quotes. Here is one. I love this one. Uh, you can find this from Discourse of the Prophet Joseph Smith. He, Joseph says, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Repent ye of your sins and prepare the way of the coming of the Son of Man. For the kingdom of God has come unto you, and henceforth the axe is laid under the root of the tree, and every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit, God Almighty, and not Joe Smith, shall hew it down and cast it into the fire. <laughs> so right here, Joseph is comparing himself not only to John the Baptist, because that's who we directly uh, re reference from that quote, right? Not only to John the Baptist, who was the forerunner to prepare for Christ's first coming, thus paralleling Christ's second coming. He's also uh, Joseph's, talking about Joseph's future mission to be the forerunner, the Elias that we're reading about, uh, to prepare the way for, for the Savior's second coming. But he's also quoting this portion of Isaiah in chapter 40. And Isaiah chapter 40 is describing the end-time servant. So Isaiah clearly is trying to show that this end-time servant is this Elias, the forerunner for the second coming of the Messiah. Joseph Smith said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. He's saying, I am that person. He's speaking the words of that servant. And yet Joseph didn't fulfill that mission yet. So is he a false prophet or is he coming back? Is he a false prophet or is he coming back? Because if he's not coming back, then he's a false prophet. Joseph said, I would much rather be a fallen prophet than a false one. So he's like, please don't call me a false prophet. I'm not a false prophet. He's, And that's in that same sermon at Nauvoo Temple Grounds that we already read. He's like, I'd rather be called a false, a fallen prophet than a false one, because I would rather have been true at some point and then been stupid later than to just been wrong from the beginning. He's like, no, I'm not wrong. I'm not wrong. I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. I am the forerunner. I am Elias. How about this? Listen to this story. This is Parley P. Pratt when he hears of Joseph Smith's martyrdom. Uh, Parley P. Pratt was on a mission in Wisconsin when he received the devastating news that Joseph Hiram had been murdered at Carthage. Shocked and stunned, he immediately returned home, walking the last hundred miles from Peoria, Illinois to Nauvoo. He was completely overwhelmed as to what advice he'd give the saints when he arrived in Nauvoo. He later described the depth of his emotional turmoil. Listen to this. I walked onward, weighed down as it were unto death, when I could endure it no longer, I cried aloud saying, Oh Lord, in the name of Jesus Christ, I pray thee, show me what these things mean and what shall I say to thy people? Suddenly the spirit of God came upon me and filled my heart with joy and gladness, indescribable. And while the spirit of revelation glowed in my bosom with as visible a warmth and gladness as if it were fire, he's seeing fire from heaven. The spirit said unto me, lift up your head and rejoice for behold, it is well with my servants, Joseph and Hiram. My servant Joseph still holds the keys of my kingdom in this dispensation, and he shall stand in due time on the earth, in the flesh, and fulfill that to which he is appointed. 
Parley was so astonished at this message that he asked the Lord to repeat it, which he did. When Parley arrived in Nauvoo, he told all of his friends this delightful news, and he even taught to the saints in several church meetings. Hmm? Right? And he still holds the keys. That which he was appointed. Well, we have a bunch of references about Joseph holding the keys. How about this one? DNC 90, 1 through 4. Uh, verse 3, Verily I say unto you, the keys of this kingdom shall never be taken from you while thou art in the world, neither while thou art in the world, neither in the world to come. How about section 112, verse 15? My hand shall be over him. There's that language again. And the keys which I have given unto him, and also to you, word, shall not be taken from him till I come. Bah. For the last days and for the last time, in the which is the dispensation of the fullness of times. Hmm. How about uh, section 113, verse 5 and 6? We already looked at this. Unto whom rightly belongs the priesthood and the keys of the kingdom for an ensign and for the gathering of my people in the last days. So this is linking this end time servant that we were reading about, wondering who it is. And yet we seem to have these testimonies of who it is. How about section 86? Therefore, your life, Joseph, and the priesthood have remained and must needs remain through you and your lineage until the restoration of all things spoken by the mouths of all the prophets since the world began, which we already read about. Um, uh, section 29, year called to bring to pass the gathering of mine elect. Ye, Joseph, uh, that they may be gathered into one place upon the face of this land to prepare their hearts and, pre in, and be prepared in all things against against the day when tribulation and desolation are sent forth upon the wicked. So that is the last times, the end times context. How about uh, section 35? Uh, we have verses 17, 18. Lord says, uh, the hand of my servant Joseph and in weakness have I blessed him. Interesting phraseology because we have this idea of uh, out of weakness shall I be made strong, being a str mighty and strong one. And I have given unto him the keys of the ministry of those things which have been sealed. So Joseph holds the keys of the things which have been sealed. And David Whitmer said, well, the mighty and strong one's going to come and reveal the sealed things in the Book of Mormon. All right. And the things which shall come from this time until the time of my coming. And skip ahead to 25. And by the keys which I have given shall they be led and no more be confounded at all. Interesting. So that's just a little bit of expounding on this idea of holding the keys and uh, matching up with what Parley Pratt said. Or how about this? Here's an interesting quote. I love this one. This is reported by Alfred Bell. Oops. This is June 24th, 1844. This is literally three days before his death. Okay. Joseph said, then I am willing to lay down my life for you. And and if, and if you've studied uh, more about this history, Joseph at this point knew he was going to die. So listen to this. And if innocent blood is spilt on this occasion, and then drawing his sword out of its scabbard and raised it above his head, listen to this. I will call upon the gods to bear witness of this. I will draw my sword and it shall never be sheathed again until vengeance is taken upon all your enemies. And listen to this. And I will call upon the elements in your defense. This is words of the Davidic servant. And the winds with the whirlwinds and thunder and lightnings and hailstorms and heavens shall tremble and with earthquakes shall the earth be shaken and the seas heaving themselves beyond their bounds. These things shall be brought to bear against your enemies 
for your preservation as the people of the Lord. We have given up our arms and they have taken away our right of protection by our city charter. Now they desire that I shall surrender myself into their hands, which I have consented to do. And then he closes with this phrase. I only go to return to you again. It's important to remember that Joseph knew he was going to die at Carthage. And yet he's telling them here, these members of the Nauvoo Legion, by the way, that he's going to return to them again. That he's only going to return to them again. What does that mean? What does that mean? And that Davidic servant language is really important. He's swearing that he will come and exact vengeance on the enemies of the Lord by, by commanding even the elements in the defense of the people of the Lord. Um, compare that to uh, this account by Wandel Mace. Uh, and, and his account is, is for, for a few reasons, a little less trustworthy, but it matches the same account. He claims that Joseph said uh, to, this is to Novel Legion, those who are your friends are my friends. And I promise you when I come again, I will lead you forth so that where I am, you shall be with me. Interesting. While they were taking our arms, Joseph looking around him at his friends, the Nauvoo Legion, and seeing our sad faces, he said, boys, he always called us boys, his boys, don't be sad, don't be cast down, I will come back again. After a little hesitation, he added, as soon as I can. What? Right? <laughs> How about this? Lyman White's testimony. Get Lyman White in here. So uh, Lyman White says, and him, Joseph, him have you taken together with his brother Hiram, the patriarch of the Most High God, and with wicked hands ye have slain them and have strove to shut up the kingdom of the Most High God against the inhabitants of the earth. But in this ye have failed, for when ye had crucified him, he was immediately escorted by angels into the bosom of Abraham, who was seated at the right hand of God and took the keys with him and left an open door of messengers to proclaim aloud the inhabitants of the earth. Repent ye, repent ye, for ye have caused the earth to drink the blood of the prophets and saints of the Most High. And there will... His untiring spirit rest, and there shall he remain, and you shall see him no more until he shall stand with one foot upon the sea, another upon the land, and swear that time shall be no longer. Interesting. It's like, I thought Jesus was going to say that. Interesting testimony, Lyman. And then shall you see him, and also when he shall take up a stone like unto a millstone and cast it into the depths of the sea. And again, when he shall come down having a great chain in his hand and shall bind Lucifer, the son of the morning, and cast him into the bottomless pit and set a seal thereon. And again, when the earth shall be lighted with his glory, when he shall come down from heaven's clothed with power and authority from the most high God to establish Zion, organize the earth and lay off the inhabitants of the saints that the meek shall inherit in the earth and your pure in heart shall see God. Skipping, uh, skipping down further. Um, who, if we are obedient children, together with the angel of the seventh and last dispensation of God on earth, Joseph Smith, will go with us, yea, they will go with us even up to the land of Zion, to the place appointed for the building of the temple of the Most High God. Skipping down, when the seven angels of the seven dispensations shall become heirs and joint heirs with Jesus Christ in the salvation of the world. Interesting. So Lyman here is testifying that Joseph come back to fulfill this mission with his keys to establish Zion and build the temple in Zion or the temples rather. So we have a lot of testimony there. 
to either hint at or blatantly proclaim it. And yet here is a couple more to finish off. This is a famous quote. This is the rough stone rolling quote, but we might not um, be familiar with the latter part of the quote. So this is Joseph Smith. Joseph says, I am like a huge rough stone rolling down from a high mountain. Interesting visual, a stone coming down from a high mountain. Daniel, anybody? Daniel, last days, being, a, being an ensign to the nations. And the only polishing I get is when some corner gets rubbed off by coming in contact with something else, striking with accelerated force uh, against religious bigotry, priestcraft, lawyercraft, doctorcraft, lying editors, etc., etc. All hell knocking off a corner here, corner there. Thus, listen to this. Thus, I will become a smooth and polished shaft in the quiver of the Almighty. Thus, I will become future tense. I will become a smooth and polished shaft in the quiver of the Almighty. He is quoting the very same verses in Isaiah chapter 49 that are those servant verses. He said, I am a polished shaft in the quiver of the Almighty who will give me, listen to this, dominion over all and every one of them when their refuge of lies shall fail and their hiding place shall be destroyed. While these smooth polished stones with which I come in contact become marred. That language right there is the Davidic servant language. Give me dominion over all. Hmm. How about that? How about this? How about uh, how about his patriarchal blessing from from his father? And it's long, and so I won't read the whole thing. Uh, and it, but it's really great. So he's clarifying, or he's 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 solidifying that he is that choice seer. Shall a choice seer arise, whose bow shall be as a fountain of truth, Isaiah language, whose loins shall be girded with the girdle of righteousness, Isaiah language to the intent servant whose hands shall be lifted with acceptance before the God of Jacob to turn away his anger from his anointed. That's again, Isaiah language, whose heart shall meditate great wisdom. If it's Isaiah language, then it is end time scenario context. Mm. His feet shall stand upon the neck of his enemies and shall walk upon the ashes of those who seek his destruction. That did not happen in Joseph Smith's first ministry. And listen to this. And though the wicked mar him for a little season, quoting Jesus, who's quoting Isaiah. Isaiah is quoting, talking about the end time servant. And here, Joseph Smith Sr. is giving him his patriarchal blessing and saying, this is you. He shall be like one rising up in the heat of wine. He shall roar in his strength, strength, strong, mighty and strong one. And the Lord shall put flight his persecutors which didn't happen in his lifetime. No, his persecutors did not go to flight. His persecutors, per, um, they, they, they prevailed over Joseph. They killed him. Uh, listen to this, skipping down on the blessing. Thou shalt do the work which the Lord shall command thee. Thou shalt hold the keys of this ministry. There's, there it is again. Even the presidency of this church, both in time and in eternity, thou shalt speak the word of the Lord and the earth shall tremble. Listen to this. This didn't, uh, this didn't happen yet. And this is, again, what Joseph said in that other quote. The mountains shall move and the rivers shall turn out of their course. That is what the, the end time servant's going to do. He's going to come and command the elements for the preservation and salvation of the Lord's people. Thou shalt escape the edge of the sword and put to flight the armies of the wicked. 
thou shalt be gathered to Zion, and in the goodly land thou shalt enjoy that inheritance. <laughs> thou shalt stand upon the earth when it shall reel to and fro as a drunken man, that is end time context, and be removed out of its place. Thou shalt stand when the mighty judgments go forth to the destruction of the wicked. That didn't happen in his lifetime. So it means he's got to come back. Thou shalt stand upon Mount Zion when the tribes of Jacob come shouting from the north. Thou shalt see thy Redeemer come in the clouds of heaven. So what then? Is his father a liar too? People, some people say, well, yeah, Joseph is coming back, but he's not the end time servant. Okay, well, if he's not the end time servant, then he's only going to literally do everything the end time servant's going to do. So now we've got two people doing the same thing. Which I guess is possible, of course. Okay, fine. You know? So, so that's all we have time for tonight. We're just a little bit over an hour, an hour and 10 minutes, I think, or so. So we'll conclude there. We will have a, a deeper dive session to look more at these, to compare more of these with uh, further verses of scripture and other quotes and have a, have a deeper dive. And this will be Sunday night at eight o'clock. And uh, it will be a, 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 might be a different Zoom link, uh, or maybe it'll be the same Zoom link, Justin can say, because we can do it on the same Zoom link or a different one, whatever Justin says. But I'll be Sunday night at eight o'clock. We'll uh, do a follow-up, which will be a deeper dive because there's so much more for those who are interested. It's so neat. And uh, hopefully this was a, a good enough introduction that was basic enough that you get an idea of what's there, but also deep enough to, to teach you some things and to reveal some things, to give you some stuff to munch on. Again, you'll have this available uh, for reference, all these scriptures, all these quotes, etc. that will be available. And, and this will also be available for listening and watching as well. So we're going to now conclude that and open up for uh, comments, discussion, questions, 